Well, welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. I am your host, Michael Delaware, and today we're going to explore some of the early history of South Haven, Michigan. So come along and join me. South Haven is a city in Michigan, and most of the city is located in Van Buren County, although a small portion extends into Allegan County. Now, according to the 2010 census, the population was around 4,400 people. So it's a very small community when you compare it to others in Van Buren County and other parts of Michigan. Because of its position on Lake Michigan and at the mouth of the Black River, South Haven has always been a port city. During early settlement years, major ship lines would stop there and both passenger and freight ships would unload goods, passengers, and all sorts of material. So prior to the colonization by white settlers, the area was inhabited at different times by the Potawatomi and Iroquois native people. In 1833, the U.S. government granted J.R. Monroe a land patent for 65 acres of land along the shore of Lake Michigan. And so in the 1850s, the first permanent settlers arrived, and early in the decade, the first steam sawmills were built on the Black River. And about this time, the settlement gained its first merchant, physician, lawyer, and minister, as well as the first schoolhouse that was built. The first bank was organized in 1867, and so South Haven became incorporated as a village officially in the state of Michigan in 1869, and it became officially a city in 1902. South Haven was given the name South Haven because of its relation to nearby Grand Haven. In 1853, the first hotel in South Haven, known as the Forest House, was built on the corner of Phoenix and Center Streets. The building was subsequently moved a few doors south and still stands today, though greatly modified, but it's no longer used as a hotel. In later years in the 19th century, Friday evenings in South Haven were filled with the hustle and bustle of horse and buggies, fruit wagons, and an endless stream of well-wishers rushing to meet the giant steamboats carrying passengers from Chicago and Milwaukee, and fringe-topped Surreys carried vacationers to over 200 of the finest resorts in the area. And during the years of its emergence as a village and eventually city, South Haven rests in an area of heavy timber, and at the time it was a great port city for timber harvesting. So you have this huge lumber industry that built up around South Haven with mills along the Black River. And the lumber was shipped to cities like Chicago and Milwaukee via steamboats and schooners. And this lumber production cleared the forests, which were then used by farmers who primarily grew peaches, blueberries, and apples. And in turn, they would also ship their product to Chicago, Milwaukee, and other port cities. The farming industry created many jobs in the area, and the city began to boom. Early in the 1900s, theaters, uh, a casino, an opera house, an amusement park, and many resorts continued to rise in popularity of the city, and South Haven quickly grew into a resort city. Thus, when the steamboats 
would arrive on a Friday evening from Milwaukee or Chicago, there was a cottage industry that was built up to support this part of the economy. You had resorts, you had carriages, and of course you had places for entertainment, including theaters, opera houses, and the amusement park, as well as the casino. So it became a resort city on the shores of Lake Michigan. And it also resulted in somewhat of a seasonal economy because the winters, as we know in Michigan, weren't wonderful for visitors to come to. No one wants to come during the icy, snowy times. And certainly shipping on the Great Lakes with passenger vessels is limited during the winter months because the Great Lakes do freeze and there's limited boating and shipping during this time period. So in 1925, the first foreign shipments of goods arrived, beginning an era of foreign shipments that would last until the mid-1960s. This was by way of coming through the Erie Canal across the other Great Lakes arriving down into Lake Michigan and in South Haven. The last passenger steamboat left South Haven for Chicago on Labor Day 1941, though recreational boating from that time forward increased markedly. In the 1950s and 60s, several new factories came into the area, and although the resort business in the area began to flounder, the resorts that had remained grew stronger. So the visitors that had arrived in South Haven during during the warmer months, during the 1920s and 1930s, came for the beaches, the weather, the entertainment, and the resorts, and an opera house. And, of course, the commerce exploded, and horses and buggies made way later in years to the automobile. But in an interesting note, in 1969, South Haven was crowned the world's blueberry capital. And that title is still held today. In fact, in 1970, the Centennial Celebration and Blueberry Festival took place. And the city's 64-slip marina was dedicated. So to this day, the Blueberry Festival continues to draw many visitors to the city on an annual basis. Other events that the city also holds is the Icebreaker Festival, the Harbor Fest, as well as art shows and a 4th of July fireworks display, which remains a very popular attraction in the region. And of course, the beaches and boating and a relaxing atmosphere still continues to this day in the city of South Haven, which remains a popular warm weather destination for not only people coming from Chicago and Milwaukee, but people visiting from all over Michigan. There's also the South Pier Lighthouse, which was built in 1903 to replace the light that was established in 1872, and it's still operational and it's accessible from the public beach. So that is also another tourism spot along the beach to go see one of the classic and historic lighthouses. So let's talk about some of the notable people that have come from South Haven for a moment, because there's quite a number of them, even though it has been a very small community. It has had its own fair share of notable people through the years. Some of them are a little bit more niche, and you may not recognize all of the names, but I'm going to go through the list of them here. So Liberty Hyde Bailey was the co-founder of the American Society for Horticultural Science, and he's considered the father of modern horticulture. Pamela Carter was the Indiana Attorney General 
from 1993 to 1997, and she came from South Haven. David Gumpert was a professional baseball player. Cindy Hall was the winner of the 1974 U.S. Women's Amateur and two-time winner of the LPGA Tour. So in the golfing world, she's probably well-known to golfers out there from the 70s. Becky Johnston, Academy Award-nominated screenwriter, wrote The Prince of Tides. Drakar Klaus was an ultimate fighting champion. Mark Leonard, the Star Trek actor known as playing Spock's father. So if you're a Trekkie, you'll remember him. Daniel K. Ludwig, he was a shipping magnate and the number one on the first Forbes list of 400 richest Americans in 1982. James McLaughlin was a Vietnam veteran and a Medal of Honor recipient. Kennedy McIntosh was a professional basketball player. Audrey Niffenegger was the author of The Time Traveler's Wife, which is a very popular book, and they are from South Haven. Uh, Joseph P. Overton was a political scientist and the author of The Overton Window Concept. Jeffrey R. Reimer was a retired United States Air Force Major General, and Art Walker was a professional football player. Kalisha West was a professional boxer, and D'Arcy Rensky was a former bass player for this band called the Smashing Pumpkins. And finally, Nate Barnes was a country music singer. So there's a lot of different notable people that have come from South Haven over the years and have made their mark in the world. So let's return to some of the early history of South Haven when it was first established. There is a book called A Historical sketch of South Haven, which was published in 1898 by an author named Brower, and it covers a a lot of the early Van Buren County history. Now, the first church was organized in South Haven in July of 1856, and it was a congregational church. The meetings were held in the Forest House Hall, which at the time was being used as a schoolhouse. Now, the earliest schools were in a frame building, which was about 18 feet by 24 feet, and it was built near the site of the present-day Roman Catholic Church in South Haven. And it was originally built in 1852, and it was opened for approximately seven pupils at that time. And the first teacher was named Miss Marilla Barnes. The first wedding in the township was that of Leland Spencer and Miss Ella Barnes at the home of Mr. Morehouse, as he was the Justice of the Peace. In 1853, the first hotel was built and called the Forest House, which I mentioned earlier. In 1841, an effort was made to establish a mail route between South Haven to Schoolcraft, and the mail carrier took the contract to deliver the mail once a week. But failing to find any postmaster here on his first trip, he gave up on his work. The post office was later officially established around 1852, And Joseph Sturgis was the first postmaster, but he soon succeeded his duty to uh, S.B. Morehouse. And then later on, there was uh, B.H. Dykeman, who was the third postmaster. And there was a whole host of other postmasters that uh, followed him. The first private bank that was established in South Haven was by a man named S.B. Boardman and A.T. Penniman. And they established this bank in 1870 called the Bank of South Haven.
Haven. It would later become chartered as the First National Bank of South Haven in July of 1871. And in 1890, it was changed to the first state bank under the provisions of the new state law, which that's a whole different story in itself. The early banking industry was a little bit on the wild side in the state during that period, and that was all over the place. So there began to become some laws that were introduced at the state level to bring some of the banking industry into a sense of uh, control and order, as well as some regulations, because there was a lot of banks that were opening during that period all over the state, especially in the newer counties where people would deposit money and the money would just disappear so forth. So you had a lot of these what they called wildcat banking during that period in Michigan. So that might be a topic for a whole nother podcast episode. So South Haven had always been a marked literary center as early as the winter of 1856 to 1857, the first literary society was organized at the home of J.S. Wagoner on Broadway Street. And they organized and they sat around the, the light of a single candle in his living room. And it was called the South Haven Literary Club. And that literary society continued on for many, many years, even up until uh, the early 1900s, meeting at a special building they had built called the Literary Building. The first newspaper that was established in South Haven was called the Sentinel. And it was uh, started by D.M. Phillips in June of 1867. At the end of the first year, he sold it to another man, and then after three months, the paper was turned over to another owner, but it eventually grew into a very popular paper in the community. Another newspaper that was started in the area was called The Record, and that was started in 1880, and it was run by a number of citizens in the South Haven area. And then the South Haven Tribune was established in 1897, and it was under the firm name The Tribune Printing Company, and that ran for a number of years as well. So peaches had been cultivated at Benton Harbor and in St. Joseph for quite a number of years, and then it was discovered that in South Haven, it was an even more favorable locality in terms of the soil and the conditions for peach growing. So South Haven quickly became a town where seedling orchards were starting to be established uh, around 1850, and it later grew into quite a peach production area for peach orchards in the western side of Michigan. What followed that was also apple orchards that became quite popular starting in around 1852 when the first apple orchards were planted, as it was also determined that it was a uh, good soil environment for the establishment of those types of orchards in the area. But the crop of peaches was quite well established by 1873. An interesting thing happened during that year. There was an extreme cold in January that killed the crop in Benton Harbor, Grand Haven, and Saugatuck. And an early December cold had killed the St. Joseph crop. So South Haven somehow escaped with very few losses in their peach production, in their peach orchards. So 
So the South Haven area became the prominent supplier for peaches for Chicago between about 1873 to 1875 and in later years. And they kind of moved into one of the forefront production for the peaches in the area of West Michigan. Part of the reason for this was that South Haven was located on what was called a bite or a curvature in the shoreline, which made it more favorable protecting the crops from the elements of the snow and the ice that would come across Lake Michigan in the harsh winters, whereas the other communities didn't have the advantage of that curvature in the shoreline. So that made a considerable difference, particularly in the peach crop, which became a thriving production crop for the area of South Haven. So by 1896, the number of baskets shipped from South Haven of peaches to Chicago ranged in the approximate numbers of 2 million, which brought in a considerable amount of receipts and revenue into the community. During the Civil War year, starting in 1861, South Haven had approximately 200 men from the area serve in the Civil War, seeing active service until March of 1866. Many of them mustered out in the city of Jackson, and they were mostly in the Southwest Army near Tennessee, and at the close of the war, they were sent to the uh, Mexican border. The Grand Army of the Republic Post in 1898 numbered about 90 surviving Civil War veterans that were living in the city of South Haven at that time. So with the increase of the passenger shipping industry coming in and out of South Haven, it was only natural that they would build a life-saving station, and the first life-saving station was built in 1887, and the first person in charge of that station was a man named Captain Cross, and he was there for about one year, and then the second captain to follow him was a man named John McKenzie, who served for five years. And the station was fully equipped. I guess it had boats and a lot of uh, resources to go out into the waters and rescue uh, ships that may have capsized or in any form of distress in need of rescue out on the water of Lake Michigan. And according to this reference, they served a number of years in that area, very gallantly in the service of the village of South Haven. Another interesting point, in 1891, South Haven, with the rest of Van Buren County, adopted prohibition under the provisions of the local option law, which was kind of interesting being that they were a resort community with a lot of people coming over from Chicago, which in later years probably created a whole other clandestine industry of speakeasies in that area being established in the early 1920s. But South Haven from 1891 forward until the end of Prohibition was a village without any saloons. And it's kind of interesting that the population in 1898 was around 3,500 people. And it hasn't grown that tremendously even in present day, as I mentioned the 2010 census at the beginning of this episode. So it's kind of an interesting little niche community there on the western shore of Lake Michigan in Van Buren County. And it still sees a tremendous amount of tourism today. If you ever have the opportunity 
opportunity to go visit the downtown area of South Haven. If you can find a parking spot in the summertime when the peak months of tourism, it is a wonderful place to tour and walk around and see the shops and uh, just enjoy some time in that community. And I highly recommend visiting that as well as many of the other coastal towns in western Michigan along the lakeshore in the summertime. So that's going to conclude today's episode as I explored some of the early history of the town of South Haven in Van Buren County. If you like today's episode, please take some time to leave a review on whatever podcast app that you are listening on. It always helps with those reviews for other new listeners to find my podcast in the search algorithms of those applications out there. And if you'd like to find out more about me or contact me, you can reach out to me through michaeldelaware.com. And there's also some support links on there if you'd like to support the work that I'm doing. I've got a link on there where you can make direct donations to me as well as uh, check out my merchandise store on that website. So until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and explore another interesting chapter of Southwest Michigan history, thanks for listening and I hope that you will join me next time.